please join me as we as we finish up this last chapter, then the last chapter, but at least this chapter we've been in in Galatians chapter six. Galatians chapter six, and we're going to just read verse verse ten. The Apostle Paul writing the Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so, Father, we are thankful that we serve a God who mountains bow down and a sea will roar at the sound of Your name, and yet we can come into Your presence. Lord, You're holy, You're majestic, You're so much other than us, and yet You've made us in Your likeness. And Lord, as we read just moments ago, strangely enough, Lord, You allowed us to be partakers of Your very divine nature. Although we can't wrap our mind around that, we're thankful for it. We're discovering these things as we grow in our Christian lives. And Lord, the need of the hour is You. You to show up. And Lord, I pray You'd come in Your Spirit and You'd help us all as Your people to break through all the familiarity that we have with truth. And Lord, grab hold of our attention. Give us listening ears. Give us the ability to hear Hear Your truth and speak, Lord. O Word of God, speak to us. I pray and ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. So in some ways, this is going to be kind of a part two to last week's message in that it's the overall emphasis of these two passages, verse 9 and verse 10, is the continuance of doing good. Paul has turned his attention to genuine Christians here in the context, those who indeed sow to the Spirit. And he'd have us know that doing such, sowing to the Spirit, is not an activity in vain. There is a reaping. There's a reaping to be had in due season. However, we must resist the temptation of growing weary in doing this good that we do because of the danger of doing so, as we looked at last week, is this danger of giving up. We must resist the temptation of allowing failed or undesired results in our doing of good to wear us down spiritually. Not allow hardships and opposition to provoke us into a just kind of a complacent, joyless, lackluster service of our God. We're just going through the motions. It's just a formality. Or even worse, just to wave the white flag to bail out. These are words for Christians who are doing good. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up. Paul then follows this caution of quitting by encouraging us to seize every opportunity to do good 
and especially do good to the household of faith. And so under the title, Don't Miss the Opportunities for Good, I want to address this very very straightforward text that we have before us. Not out of mystery here. So then, Paul says, here's my, my paragraph summary. And I suppose we could even go back to verse 1. Verses, verses 1 through 9. In light of these truths expressed of, of seeking to restore a brother who's fallen, uh, someone who's caught in sin, of, of seeking to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, uh, seeking to humble ourselves and have a humble view of one another to the extent where I'm sharing all good things with brothers and sisters, and sowing to the Spirit and not growing weary. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. I mean, this is the summary. Do good. <laughs> How you like that for a summary? And notice, notice the imperative is not make sure others are doing good to you. That, that's not what it says. Make sure you put yourself in a place of being a recipient of good. Make sure your church or your ministry is, is make, make sure they're doing you good. Surely that's the modern Americanized version of the text. But this text is aimed at us. No doubt addressing the church collectively. However, it has an individual application. You, Christian, you see to it that you are spending yourself and being spent on doing good to others. Everyone. I mean, there's an inescapable personal responsibility laid at our feet in this text. And for every one of us who are Christians here, it's very important that we understand that this is, brethren, this is the primary reason why we're here. Why we're still here on this earth. Let me ask you, why were you saved? Did you know that you were saved for good works? And, and James and I didn't collaborate on our message. So out of the mouth of two witnesses, a thing, a thing's confirmed, right? We know that from Scripture. God knows what we need to hear. We were saved for good. That's what Scripture teaches us. And it teaches us that this was designed way back when the Lord planned your existence. He had your good works in His mind. He was ordaining the very good things that you are currently giving yourself to and that you have yet to give yourself to as a Christian for the sake of Christ. Just just flip over a page, I'm sure it is in most of your Bibles, to, to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll just look at this briefly. You can see this with your own eyes. I'm not making this up. I'm not just saying it as a means to encourage you. Actually, God put it in His Word to encourage you and to inform you. I actually made you for good. And yes, I'm well aware, far more so than you, of all your shortcomings, of all your failures. I'm aware of your spiritual wrinkles and stains and spots. But I'm purposing to iron out your wrinkles. I'm purposing to cleanse you from all your spots slowly but surely over time. But I want you to know why I saved you and what I have planned for you right here in Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not, of, not a result of works so that no one may boast. 
4. Here is why God saved us. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And catch this. To which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're a Christian here today, you're a Christian because of the workmanship of God in you. It's not because of something you did. It's not something that anything has to do with you. It's because God determined to extend His grace to you. It was a gift. God gifted you His grace. And He gave you the gift of faith. If you, if you, ha- if you possess saving faith here today, you receive that by way of a gift. A gift from God. And, and He gave it to you so that you would not boast in yourself, but that you would boast in Him. But ultimately, He did that so His grace would shine and be seen in your life by other people. He has and He is working His grace in your life so that you will engage yourself and you will immerse yourself in the very good deeds that He Himself planned for you way before you were ever even born. It's really astounding when you think about that. Brethren, this is why, listen, if you have a burden to do, it doesn't matter what it is, if you have a burden to do something good, you should not take that lightly because that is likely come from God. Way back, He's planted this thing in your heart, in your mind. Brethren, as we live this life by faith, know this, that God will give you certain yearnings and desires and ideas for good. He drops certain providential happenings into your lap, encounters into your lap for this very purpose. Good works. Doing good. Paul calls them opportunities in Galatians. Here in Ephesians, he speaks in terms of them being previously planned. That you should walk in them. Avail yourself to them. Our problem tends to be twofold. We, we Knowing... Knowing God did this in His sovereignty, that He prepared works first, instead of that provoking us to go out and do good, it can cause us to have this mindset, develop this mindset of just waiting for God to do it for us, right? Well, if God wants me to do good, He's just going to make it happen somehow. But, but secondly, just being too preoccupied with self. Being preoccupied with self, we don't always recognize the opportunities for good when they're right there in front of us. Living with an expectation that God is purposely crafting providential workings in our lives for the purpose of allowing us to express His good. Even in the midst of loss. Even in the midst of heartache. Even in the midst of situations that are bad and broken and discouraging. You can count on this Christian that the Lord is ordaining good works. Even in the midst of opposition. not Even in the midst of hardship. And I would argue, I would argue, especially then, because that is when his grace is most magnified, most put on display. In those hours where just it's inexplicable to the human mind that you could respond that way. You could flip back to Galatians, but brethren, don't delay. Don't disobey. Respond to the promptings of your God to do good when he gives them. So then, as we have opportunity, Paul says. This word opportunity is most often translated time or season 
in our Bibles. Almost every translation, though, does use the word opportunity here, which is, it does seem like a fitting word. There's two ways to understand this statement. Paul's either referring to the time allotted between now and that eternal day of reaping, as we have opportunity, as we have this specific window of time or season until we pass out of this world. Or he's referring to any time, any open door or opportunity that comes our way. Or perhaps we could say, turning any situation into an opportunity to do good. The original language, the structure, permits both ways of understanding Paul's statement here. But I don't think we need to pick one or the other because both are true, right? There there is a marked allotted time that you and I have here on earth. And we need to be using this time with a mindset of looking for opportunities, availing ourselves to opportunities of doing good to others. I mean, Scripture emphasizes both. Our time here is limited. Our stewardship of it is very important. It's Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol or the grave to where you're going. John 9.4, Jesus speaking, We must work the works of Him that sent Me. While it is day, night's coming when man will work no more, Jesus says. Ephesians 5.15, Look carefully how you walk, not as wise, but or unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Colossians, a similar thought. Colossians 4.5, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of of your time. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good. It's, it's, it's not when it's convenient for you, do good. Or when someone presents themselves as a worthy candidate for good, then do good. But as you have opportunity, do good. I mean, brethren, we live in a, we live in a culture that is just constantly affirming and approving very bad behavior and conduct. Just validating people for doing what's bad. So as Christians, we need all the encouragement we can possibly get when it comes to doing what is good and what is right. And doing so within this limited window of days that God has given you and I. I mean, just thinking upon this text, I, I want you to think about, as I have, just think about all the evil that you've done. All the time in your life that you have spent on doing evil when you were lost. And you know what? You, you, you were quite dedicated to it. Were you not? In fact, you didn't even have to stir yourself up to do what was bad. You, you naturally thrived at it. You thirsted for it. In fact, some of us couldn't drink it in, drink it in fast enough. You, you had no problem being bold and taking all kinds of risks in your service to sin and darkness. Think about that. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come and appear before my Lord and Master having been more bold and have taken more risks in my service to sin than in my service to the One who gave His life for me. I don't. Lord, please don't let her ever let it be that, I, that, I, that it could be said that I was more faithful in my service to Satan 
than to my Savior? Brethren, we've been called to do good to others, to everyone. And what's best, what's better yet, is we've been empowered to do it. We have His Spirit. We have His grace. And that's wonderful. Isn't that our reasonable service? Right? I mean, Paul says that after 11 chapters of glorious truth. It is our reasonable service. I mean, don't you love how broad and how wide open this statement is? Just do good. Right? Jesus would not have us following some well-defined little list of, narrow list of things to do that are good. You notice we don't get that in the Bible. No, it's just get out there and just, just do it. Just get out there and do good. Lose yourself and love. Just go wild and, and being good to people and doing good for people. And you know, I'm very thankful. I praise God that I see that in some of your lives. I'm thankful for that. Some of you are doing a great job of, of we talked about model in the previous hour, modeling, doing good to others. Keep going. Keep doing it. However, I'm also finding pastorally that there are far too many people far too invested in unbiblical expectations of the Christian life and Christ's church. And those expectations are only proving to hinder the good you could be doing in your life. In some cases, it's almost as like it's almost as if you would think your best life now is actually what Jesus promises us, and that, and that somehow you're 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 ending up on the short end of the stick because you're not experiencing your best life now, and so we feel obliged to create some list of personal whims that need to be met in order for me to find contentment or in order for me to pour myself in the lives of others. And, and brother, it just boils down to self. It's what, it, it's what it boils down to. We are not called as Christians to a life that caters to self. That's a life that's directly opposed to God. And, and Jesus pulls no punches here, does He? He says, you want to be my disciple? Okay, this is it. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. The, the cross that I purposely am laying on your shoulders in your life right now. Take it up and follow me. Th- those are the qualifications for, for following Jesus Christ. You have to do that. Death, essentially. Death to you. And I know that that runs completely contrary to, to the life of Instagram and TikTok and Facebook and name your favorite social media delusion. But, but Christ is in the business of reality, not, not creating fantasy. He, he refused to set His people up with false expectations. He, he didn't falsely advertise like some smooth-talking salesman like the devil, Satan himself, promising one thing and getting the opposite. Jesus was very upfront with us about the matter of following Him and what the cost was. He'd have us know, the way is hard. That's what He said. Not easy, not simple. The way is hard that leads to life. You want the easy path? I mean, so much so. What do we have in John 6? Oh, there's a lot of people are excited about Jesus and the message. Oh, look at those miracles. Oh, He can give me this. He gave me some bread. Wow. All the stuff He does. But you know what? 
His message in following Him got hard. And there's a whole group of them that bailed. This is too hard! I'm out! But Jesus would have us know the way is hard. And you're not going to get through it without, but by My grace. You, you want the easy path? Eternal life is not the road for you. There's a wide gate that, that allows for such. But the end there is not well. It doesn't end well. Christianity is no walk in the park. It never has been. I, I recall Jesus promising us tribulation. I recall Jesus. I recall Paul promising the very thing. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's a must. If you're going to come to Christ, you must expect that you must enter many tribulations. Not one or two, many tribulations. Many unpleasant situations. But you know what? Every single one of them is worth it. It's absolutely worth it for the King of glory. I mean, I recall Jesus saying, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord is going to enter the kingdom. You know who will? Those who actually surrender their wills to me. That's what He says. The Father. Those who make it their aim and content themselves to actually embracing and doing God's will, not self-will. And this is the will of His people. Doing good. Doing good. Those of you who are here Wednesday night, you heard Javier, he was, took us to Hebrews chapter 10. And you know what? In that, in that passage, we find one of the great purposes for God's church gathered together. What, what is the great purpose? One of the great purposes in God's church being gathered? Hebrews 10.24 tells us. It's to consider... You're taking it, you're considering, you're examining the people, the brethren, considering how to stir one another up to love and what? Good works. Good works. Doing good to one another. That's one of the chief aims for which we meet, brethren. Yes, right alongside prayer, right alongside the preaching of God's Word. It's stirring or encouraging each other to love and good works. Not just, not just you doing the good works, but encouraging others to do the same. Both of, both of those require self-denial, not self-will. Even when things get difficult and tough and you find yourself in a valley of d darkness or discouragement and things aren't the way you want them to be, that's not the time to start catering to you. That's the time to be transparent with the church about where you're at spiritually. And that's the time to trust God as you continue to do good to others. Trust God in your trial. Brethren, we don't need self-catered programs. What we need is to learn to die. To die and to serve. We need to learn what God has to teach us when our flesh wants something else. We actually need to learn to trust the God who saved us when life isn't going as we would desire it to go. There's a dear pastor friend of mine who went through a very, very dark season of depression in his life. And uh, if you just knew the things he had to encounter and the things he had to bear up under, it's, I don't know any other case like his. And I mean, he was in a very deep, dark pit. 
And his doctor told him, you know what, I could prescribe something for you that could help you out in this time. And you know what he told the doctor? He said, no, I want to know what God has to teach me in the darkness. That's a man who knows his God. That's a man in full submission to his God. That's faith put on large display right there. That's gold, brethren. That's a man who knows. That's a man who's going to know something of the Lord Jesus Christ drawing near and being precious to him during suffering. Like most Christians won't. Why? Well, because we're looking for the quick fix. We're looking for the easy out, the palatable path. Lord, teach me in the darkness. That's incredible. That's someone fixated on God, not on self. Even in the midst of darkness. Brethren, the church is not Walmart with aisles full of choices designed to cater to your personal likings. It's not Six Flags, a fun fest full of exhilarating rides for thrill seekers. You know, when the ride gets old, we just get off and we'll go to another park. That's not the church. The church does not exist to satisfy your excitometer or to itch some self-esteem scratch. We're called to die and to serve one another. Fundamental. This is Christianity 101. To do good. And it's a privilege. And it's an honor. And it's a blessing. And it yields eternal blessings. What's what we're reaping? It's what the reaping talked about here is eternal life. And when we lose sight of that, we actually lose sight of the very purpose for our living. Back there in chapter 5, verse 13. Through love, serve one another. That word serve comes from the word doulos, slave. We talked about that when we were there. The Bible urges our love to be oriented toward each other in such a way that we actually perform the duties of a slave to one another. We, we can talk about that and say it. and Treating one another like we're, we're, we're your slave. I'm a slave to you, brothers and sisters. That's the mentality God wants us to have toward one another. We do well to dwell on that more. That's something to be preoccupied with, not, not you. And that doesn't happen by mere association. It doesn't happen by just popping in and out of the church here. That happens, that happens through intentional commitment. That happens through faithful service. That, that happens by targeting uh, people with, with a, a loving agenda. Side by side, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, all the, all the, the plethora of one another's of the New Testament basically find no meaning and no real application in a selfish, uncommitted heart. And that's a big problem for our culture. I mean, some of our, our own spirit, spiritual struggles and misery are directly related just to our failure to simply obey the basics of the gospel. Trust and obey the Lord. 
And we don't like that answer. That answer just seems too simplistic for us. And so, you know, we point fingers. And we'll blame the children. Or we'll blame mom and dad. Or, you know, we'll blame the church. Or this brother or sister. You know, they didn't do, they, they didn't do this for me in this time. And, or, you know, I, I, I needed help here and they didn't help me. Or they did this to me. And, or, or blame the leadership. That's a good one. You know, I lack this because they, they're not doing this. Or they're not making me walk with God right. And they're not providing me enough personal attention. And, as if the Lord has not called us individually to, to personally walk with Him. Oh, brethren, the self-centered nature of flesh. Masters of self-pity. Masters of the pity party. The masters of excuse and blame shifting. I love, I love how passage after passage in the Bible, the Lord just holds up the mirror. There we are going on and on about what's wrong outside of us. If we open up the Bible and there He is, the Lord, boom! The mirror in your face. Are you find once, once you get serious about coming to terms with what this, this book teaches, you know what you find? You end up finding out that this book knows far more about me than I do. <laughs> All that to say, what you so often think you need is not what you need. What you most need and what I most need is to get our face buried in this book and cast our eyes on this One and of whom it said He went about doing good. And when you look at Him and you take Him in, you know what you find? Before you know it, you're out doing good just like Him. Not as some effort to fill a void, but an overflowing response of His goodness that the goodness that you've seen in Christ and the goodness that He has shown towards you and poured out upon you. For the joy, last week we talked about it, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Christian, what have you endured for Christ? Has, has, it, has it been that? To that extent? Keep in mind, He, he was sinless. You're a sinner. For the joy set before me endured the cross. Brethren, this is why we're, we're still here. This is why God's still getting, the heart's still pumping. We got life and you, you recovered from your sickness. You, you, a lot of people got sick. God brought you back to health. You know why? To do good. For good works. To do good. Mark it down. As soon as you start to do that, as soon as you, as soon as you determine to, to give yourself afresh to be obedient to this calling of being a doer of good, Mark it down. The devil will be hot on your heels. He will. He's out for blood. He's ready to take down. He's ready to destroy anything good. Anything that's a threat to His kingdom. And listen, the devil is not something Disney dreamed up. It's not The demonic realm is not some figment of Hollywood's imagination. It's real. The devil is real. And he, he sleeplessly is seeking ways to destroy, looking at the destruction of anything and anyone that even sniffs Christianity. He's looking to destroy you, Christian. And I hope you're not so naive to think, well, I, you know, I can kick back with my five points and throw caution to the wind because if you think that way, before you know it, you're going to be on your back wondering what happened to you. He is doing and will do everything in His power to discourage you from doing good. Because He knows what that does. He knows how that impacts the world. Impacts His own kingdom. 
So He's going to do everything He can to muster up stopping you, your pursuit for doing good, for loving your neighbor. He's going to resist. He's going to oppose. He's going to whisper. He's going to influence. And brethren, He doesn't show up at your front door with horns on and a pitchfork in hand. No. He oftentimes shows up as an angel of light. That's what Paul tells the Corinthians there. 2 Corinthians 11.14 Brethren, we've got to exercise discernment. We've got to live our lives alert and aware. Peter's not exaggerating when he said, be sober-minded, be watchful, resist Him. There is someone and something to resist. Far too many Christians treat the kingdom of darkness like it's nothing more than some comic book story. And consequently, get upsettingly surprised when they encounter reality. We got to live our lives keenly aware that there are actual principalities and powers that are actively working against you, stopping you from this command. Acting against not just you, against Christ's church, this church. Oh, especially any church that would take it upon itself to seek to advance Christ's kingdom, expanding his footprint. He will come warring against such. Warring against you, strategizing against you, plotting against you, studying your weakness, looking to capitalize upon your weakness, looking to strike at the most opportune time. And listen, the dominion of darkness doesn't war like you would you would think in the most obvious ways. They war in the subtleties of suggestion. They war in feeding your mind and luring your lusts and lulling you to sleep. Keep in mind, He is the Father of lies, right? And He's very good at it. He's the slanderer, the Bible says. And named so because that's exactly the nature of His work. A slander. He slanders God. He slanders God's people. He capitalizes on the gullibility and discontented nature of fallen flesh, planning evil thoughts, poisoning people's minds. The very people God has bid to do good toward one another and love one another. And He will come seeking to lure you away from the fountain of living waters and bedazzle you with mirages of His desert of deceit. You know what a mirage is? It's an optical illusion. It's thinking something there is real and it's not. You know, you get the picture of the guy in the desert. And there's the heat of the noonday sun, and you got the reflection of the sand, and he thinks he sees a watering hole. He picks up his pace, but the further he moves along, he finds out it's nothing but sand. It was a mirage. Oh, the devil's good at mirages, at creating them. When, especially when you're starting to spiritually wilt in the heat of the sun, presenting you appearance of something that's very appealing to your flesh. But the reality is, it's nothing. It's nothing you think it is. Brethren, I've seen this play out. The sinister nature in which Satan works and how utterly oblivious God's people can be to it. And I, I include myself with that. There's nothing more that Satan and his minions desire than to turn you, Christian, away from doing good. Doing good to others, doing good in Christ-honoring, kingdom-advancing ways. And one of the primary ways is just getting you consumed with yourself. 
point you point out to what you're lacking, get you sidetracked with all manner of busyness and frivolous things, fill your ear with a garbage of gossip, maybe even maybe even get you diligently engaged in important matters. So you're so keyed on, keyed in on being task oriented that you completely miss golden opportunities to do good sitting right in front of you. So locked into you that you completely miss this brother that's in need or this sister that can really use your help. It could really use some encouragement. Paul makes mention here of brethren, doesn't he? So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Yet yes, make it a point to do good to, to all kinds of people, everyone. We want to do that. Don't miss opportunities. Look for them rather near and abroad. But, but as you're doing that, make sure you make it a priority to, to give concerted effort to those who are of the household of faith. To those brothers and sisters within your spiritual family, the, the local covenant community that you've committed yourself to. And that's implied in the text, isn't it? Such a relationship. The household of faith. I mean, Paul, Paul likens the local church to a household. Well, that's exactly what they met in in that day, for one. But, but that, that's what the body of Christ is. It's a family. Not acquaintances, not just friends, not, not, not members of a club. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says, make sure you put the crosshairs of your doing good, especially upon the blood-bought family members of Christ. Family. Those you gather with week, uh, regularly to worship. Well, you know what's wonderful about this command to do good? It's complete, brethren, it's completely independent of your spiritual gifting. It is. Your age, your gender, your personality, whether you're extroverted or introverted, your finances, your station in life. It's a very broad and very applicable command. I mean, the sky is the limit in, in all the possible ways that you can do good. There's, there's no room in this command for why, you know, I, what, what use am I in the church? I mean, what, what purpose do I serve? What, what, what can I do? Well, you can do good. That's what you can do. In fact, not only can you do it, God commands you to do it here in this verse. Yes, use your gifts. Use your skills. Use anything and everything wherewith God has blessed you for good. And you say, well, uh, what if I don't know what my gift is and I don't have any skills? And Good! Use them to bless others. Whatever it is that, that you have. Listen, doing good doesn't require anything other than a heart to do it. It really does. A heart to love your neighbor as yourself. Yes, it might require you to step out of your comfort zone a little bit. But God's grace is sufficient to obey His Word, right? Scripture says, in these verses that James brought out earlier, Christ gave Himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. That's God's will for us. Paul closes that letter to Timothy and he says, let people learn to devote themselves to good works. See, there's a learning aspect. God's called us, you know, we need to, as God's people, we need to learn how to do good works. Was, you notice the very first thing he gave 
listed there for Titus? Model good works. Number one on the list. Proverbs 3.27, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due and is in the power of your hand to do it. Don't miss opportunities. Surely God's going to give you clear opportunities and He has, but I don't think we want to limit it to something just falling into our lap or we just happen to discover it. Or I mean, we, I think this is a command for us to get thinking, right? It should provoke us to think and to ponder and to pray. I mean, how can I do good and honor King Jesus, the Master of all good? I mean, how can I be more like Him? And get creative, brethren. Think of ways. Uh, Ways to communicate your love and your care, your desire to be Christ-like and loving other people. Listen, doing good doesn't require money. doesn't. doesn't require great wisdom. doesn't even require a great amount of time, necessarily. doesn't even require great effort, necessarily. You know what doing good requires? Intention more than anything else. Obedience. Obedience to a completely open-ended command. I didn't know if I saw Matt Garza. I, don't, I didn't want to mortify him by mentioning him from the pulpit. But <laughs> I know he hasn't done this to be recognized, but I was thinking about some of the ways brethren in this church have done unique good things in unique ways. And I'm thankful there's a number of you. I'm not going to mention anyone else, but I was thinking how he's made those those handcrafted little uh, uh, canvases. We've got some in the men's room there. And I've noticed those in other different brethren's homes. I thought, what a blessing. What a means of doing good. I mean, have, having a constant reminder, anytime you glance at that, that canvas of some, some truth from Scripture penetrating your mind, being confronted with the truth of Scripture, causing your mind to think about eternal matters. That's a wonderful doing of good. There's just so much potential to do good in the church. I mean, just sending a text. There's been a lot of good that's come my way just through that. Making a call, making a card, giving an invite, cooking a meal, being a helping hand, being a shoulder to cry on, assisting mothers by giving them a break, helping them with babies and chores, just just encouraging a struggling soul, helping a specific need, alleviating someone's financial burden if you've been gifted such. Just being a listening ear sometimes. And I can just keep going on. You add to the list. <clears throat> I was thinking Friday in my quiet office, and I, as I'm now able to close some doors that I previously did not have, my office has been an open game room upstairs for some few years, and Sam helped me build some walls. Thankful for that. However, I've had this four-foot opening at the top of the stairs, that wall, for quite some time. Uh, lacking the French doors that I had planned for that to be, be in that place, and I was saving up money for those when I 
made that plan. I didn't realize how expensive they were. <laughs> but somebody must have thought I was waiting too long. Um, the French doors in and of themselves have their own story, but one of the things instrumental in speeding up the process of me getting those doors was that Home Depot gift card that covered almost half the cost. And I got that card from somebody in this church. I haven't figured it out yet, but still don't know who it is. But, but I got thinking about that Friday because I was in, that, in my office Friday praying with another brother, seeking the face of God. Not that that's anything unusual in and of itself, but in that location, it was because uh, I haven't been able to do that because my daughter runs her piano studio out of our home and you know her students are right down at the bottom of the stairs. So, you know, distracting or interrupting twinkle, twinkle, little star with you know loud groanings of the bright morning star to come in power. Is, that wouldn't be all exa- exactly too professional, but uh, for her studio. So, so I'm thankful that's been remedied. And then now I'm afforded a space right, you know, noise is not too much of an issue. The point being, someone doing good allowed that prayer meeting to take place Friday. A prayer meeting that, brethren, eternity will show the value of it. Of what was accomplished in, the, in that time, what holy transactions occurred, what what shakings of kingdoms, what mountains were moved. So, So this is a case where actually someone's doing good opened up an opportunity to do eternal kingdom good. And providing a place where God's people could join together and and just petition the Lord of glory. I mean, who can put a price tag on that? I guarantee you, that good gift is most precious in the sight of God. All because somebody caught wind, or I mean, they they saw or they heard. I don't know if they saw it in my house. Thought, man, that's got to be resolved. Or anyway, they jumped on it when they found out about the need. They jumped on it, did something about it. They seen the opportunity. They seized the opportunity to do good. And, and spending time in this passage just got me thinking: How many opportunities in my life have I missed for doing good? Oh, brother, I hope we're not so grossly out of balance in our understanding of God's sovereignty that we we don't believe in missed opportunities. I don't want to miss opportunities. I know I have. In fact, I want to be more cognizant and aware of opportunities that are staring me in the face or how I might be more proactive in creating opportunities to do good. This is, again, why we're still here. Good works. You want to live a fruitful life? A life of no regrets? There you are in your deathbed with no regrets. A life that honors the Christ who purchased you with His blood. A life worthy of the Lord. A life worth living. Live your life like Jesus Christ going about doing good. That's a life you won't regret. That's a fruitful life. There is not one good thing. Going back to even what James said, I didn't matter how tiny, how minuscule it is. 
in the eyes of man. There is not one good thing that you give yourself to that's going to be forgotten by God. Not for a second. In due season, every single good will reap eternal value. And so, brethren, let us not miss out on the opportunities to do good. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We're thankful for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We're thankful, Lord, for Your Spirit. And Lord, we ask, Lord, I, I want to see fruit from, from this verse. I, I, Lord, I pray that this would, would provoke us into another level of, of doing good to everyone and to one another. Lord, please apply this in the hearts of Your people. For Jesus' sake, Amen.